Hey guys, this is Mark Kenyon of Wired to Hunt, and you're listening to the audio version of the 100% Wild podcast. Today in the show, Matt and I are back again with Mark Drury, and we're answering a listener-submitted question about how we track the weather. And in this conversation, Mark dives deeper than ever into all of his thoughts on how weather impacts deer and how he uses that to have success in the woods. I really think you're going to enjoy this one, so let's dive right in. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon of Wired to Hunt. With me again is Matt Drury and Mark Drury of Drury Outdoors. How are you? Good. How are you today? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well over here. Just, uh, you know, excited to get back out in the woods. We were talking a little bit earlier about some things related to weather, and so I've just been looking through my phone over the past couple of seconds, looking at my upcoming weather forecast and trying to figure out where to be and when to be there. So I think it's perfectly related to our question of the day today too. So I don't know about you, Matt, but I'm thinking since probably a lot of people right now are rushing around trying to get their honeydew list done and then getting in the woods, maybe we should just get right to the business too. Absolutely. I think, you know, the it's funny because the weather everybody's a weather, every hunter is a weatherman this year or this time of year, right? Like you, I've never checked out weather so much as I do in the, like the months of September, October, November, December. It's just like, <laughs> I got to every day I'm looking at it. I'm looking at my app and then the rest of the year, it's just like, eh, whatever. <laughs> so true. It's funny this morning when I woke up, my wife was, you know, she, she asked, what's the temperature today? I'm like, well, it's 58 right now. It'll be 62 by noon and tomorrow morning it'll be 38 though. So make sure you're dressed properly. I could tell you for the next 15 days, exactly what to expect. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, but you know what? You'd be lying for about 12 of those. <laughs> yeah, that's right. True. <laughs> <be> wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, that said, should we get right to that question today, Matt? Absolutely. My name is Blake, and I'm from Tyler, Texas. My question is, is there any type of app or website that you rely on before hunting or venturing off into the woods, as in something that you might study? Meaning things like barometric pressure, moon phases, weather, and so on. Thank you for your podcast. As I speak for all hunters nationwide, we enjoy it and keep up the great work. Well, thanks for the question, Blake. And uh, and Mark, what what are you using? What kind of apps and tools do you use to keep track of stuff like the weather? Well, there are some key ones that I go to. The first one that I go to every single day and I watch it and I've got it customized to what I want to see is wonderground.com. They have both an app for smartphones, but I find more information on their actually website. So I'm actually going to the web going to wonderground.com and I, I've got my chart in there and I have it customized to show me wind direction, wind speed, uh, relative humidity, barometric pressure, temperature, high, low. And I look at all those charts and graphs and I mean, it's, it's like looking at the Dow Jones industrial average as it goes up and down, but you look for these little nuances and uh, when everything lines up, you go, oh, there's the day I need to be there. There's the morning. Here's where I'm going to sit and so on and so forth. I also use weather.com to compare it to Wonderground, what it's saying. I use AccuWeather. Both of those are apps. I compare AccuWeather to the other two. And then I use uh, fieldviewclimate.com uh, as well. That's more during the summer. And looking at overall precip is what I use it for. You can actually program your fields in there, and it'll tell you how much rain that you got. And I found it accurate to within about a tenth of an inch all summer. It was it was very helpful uh, to know how much rainfall I had. Interesting. Yeah, I use I use several of those same apps. Like you said, Wonderground 
is by far, I think, the best website out there for this kind of stuff. Um, and another feature they have that I'm sure you use, I think we have actually talked about before, is they have the historical weather data, too, on Wonderground, which is really interesting. Is that the site you use for your historical weather, too? Absolutely. That's where I go every day. I spend all day looking at pictures, looking at weather, pictures, weather, picture, weather, all day long. <laughs> I spend more time in my computers and on my phone than I do in the stand anymore trying to predict or understand or catch one little one little nuance that we might be able to, to kill a deer in. For, and I also use it to take a break once in a while. Uh, yesterday, we hunted hard morning and evening. They moved quite well. And I looked at the weather pattern for this morning, and I said, you know what, I'm almost, you know, sleep in. And uh, I told Wade, I said, let's take a break tomorrow morning. And I texted all my buddies when I woke up, uh, three different guys, and between the three of them, they saw one deer. So what are the conditions that you're looking for when you've got Wonderground pulled up? You said you're waiting for everything to line up just right. Can you walk us through what that just right is? And then I actually am kind of curious. We've talked about this before, but I, I want maybe a little more detail about each of the specific condition or specific variables. So temperature, pressure, wind speed, et cetera. Well, start with temperature. If you look at whatever the average is for that time of the year, when you start to creep up above average, about every degree above average is how many more minutes he's going to lay in his bed that day, in my opinion. You know, if your average temperature for that day is 55 and it's 75, you can just about bet he's going to lay in that bed 20 or 30 more minutes. And I'm simplifying it. But my point is, as you reach the norm and get above it, chances are you just eliminated your daylight activity of an evening hunt. That's for sure. On those warm days, I have a tendency to hunt more of a morning than I do in the evening just because it just it just kills your, your daylight activity. Um, when you look at wind speed, I always like speed to the wind, regardless of when I'm going out. I don't like when the wind isn't blowing. I see so many more deer when the wind is blowing than when it's not. It's not even funny. Uh, the exception to that rule is that first high-pressure morning after a cold front when the front blows through and the high settles in and the wind drops to nothing, that first morning with that heavy frost or just a heavy dew, that morning they will almost always move. And uh, it's generally delayed a little bit. Heavy frost is going to put a deer down in its bed. And it's going to stay there. And it gives you a little bit of a chance to sneak in and be careful and, and get in there in the dark and, and hopefully not, not bump that herd around too much. Uh, but I like wind speed, particularly wind that sustains till dark. Uh, I see so many more deer when the wind sustains versus when it uh, lays in the evening. Um, when it comes to barometer, barometer rules the day. There is no greater indicator of deer movement than the barometric pressure. Um, I'm doing a lot of uh, investigative looking into humidity as it pertains to pressure because there are days that throw me for a curve when the pressure is low and they're still moving well and I'm trying to correlate pressure, wind speed, temperature, back to humidity, and see if that has something to do with, with those old noses. And I, I haven't figured it all out yet, but I'm looking at humidity very closely this fall to try and put up a connection in there. What, those days that I get fooled, based on the barometer, if it has to do with humidity. Hmm. Uh, I, like the, I like the front, man. You watch deer movement, watch daylight activity, watch your cameras. It all revolves around those weather fronts. When that, when that barometer stays stagnant for three or four days, heat, humidity, and they're not moving, and then all of a sudden a cold front's approaching, they're going to move as it approaches, 
then they're going to move when it's there. And then when it ushers in the high pressure, they're going to move. But then that second day of south, which is generally the day after the high pressure settles in, it generally drops way off. And that's what today was. It was our second south. And that's why I sat it out this morning. Maybe a fan question here that seems to, to relate just to that from YouTube, uh, from looks like New Jersey Devils fan. Uh, what is the reasoning behind hunting a south wind after two or more norths? It's that high pressure generally it correlates uh, together because that front's coming in and behind that front almost always if it's a strong front, there's a high pressure that settles in. The day it settles in, that front will kick around and it'll come back out of the south. And buddy, look out. That is the day. First south after the north is almost always the, the best best day. And two, three of the best day, deer I ever killed, uh, four now, the wind was out of the southeast that day. Uh, I killed skyscraper, snow sled, bucktober, and danger all on a light south southeast on uh very very high pressure um and that was the first day after the northerly front that it kicked back out of the south and all four of those deer were killed of a morning so i've i've heard you talk a lot about you want rising barometric pressure and i know high barometric pressure is important but i had someone recently ask me what if you're just stuck in like a sustained high pressure, like it's been rising a day or two ago, but now it's still really high. Is that still going to be good? Or would that typically be that second day after, you know, that you just mentioned where it's now warmer, it's two days after the south wind or something. Is that the situation that ends up being where you have a long sustained high pressure? That's where other variables come in. What's your cloud cover percent and what's your wind speed that day? Uh, if you have a cloudy low ceiling, with no wind, chances are it's not going to be too great. However, if you have a sunny bluebird day with sustained winds and pressure up there, 30.15 or 30.2 and above, chances are it's still going to be good. It won't be as good as the other, but it'll still be good. Cloud covers a deal breaker often for deer, particularly if it's low pressure, and light winds are often a deal breaker for movement. I mean, usually when you have cloud cover, it is low pressure, right? Typically. Can be. I've seen it both ways, though. I've seen east winds with high pressure and cloud cover, and they move their butts off. Hmm. So that's why I'm looking more into the humidity and trying to figure some of this stuff out. But as a general rule, particularly in December and late season, that sun's got to be shining if you're going to see the age class we're looking for. The deer still move, but those old boogers, man, they're just there's just certain uh, windows of opportunity, and it, they're very narrow. <laughs> You know, we, we had had a conversation somewhat similar to this last summer, Mark, and one topic we never did cover was your thoughts on precipitation and how that might impact deer movement. Do, have you found any patterns there? Yeah, get out there when it's raining or snowing because it often is quite good. Unless you're in the heat of the storm, you know, heavy downpours, that's going to sustain movement a little bit. But a light mist, incredible trigger. Light snow, incredible trigger. But there again, watch your wind speed, watch your pressure, see where you're at in the front. You're only as good as when that front hits you. So there are certain fronts that it might hit in the middle of the night and it'll only be good the following morning and that's it. However, if it hits in the middle of the day, the first afternoon is good. But that has to do with what the cloud cover is doing and the wind speed. And it's hard to break it all down other than watch every front, pay attention to every single variable. And then when you have good movement, when that repeats, make sure you take advantage of it. Makes sense. Uh, what about the severity of a front or, you know, when I think of a good front coming through, usually I see like a number of days stacked up with warm weather 
and then now all of a sudden the bottom drops out and I'm like, oh, this is going to be really good. But what about these kind of days where it's like a roller coaster, where it's warm, then it's like a 10 degree temperature drop and it's warm again, and then there's a 15 degree temperature drop. I mean, even if it's only one day of warm weather, does that next day cold front still have as much of an impact? I think so, especially when there's pressure associated with it. It has thus far this season. I talked a great deal the day we killed danger about this Indian summer. We're having an Indian fall where it's just warm and we're not getting many cold fronts. But when you get them, regardless of when they come, they mean more. And we've had incredible daylight activity with some giants uh, this year. We've had really good daylight activity, much better than fall of 15 thus far. Even though it's warmer, we're seeing more of our mature deer. Yeah, October seemed to be way better this year for us in general than it than no it was last year. No question. Hmm. Now, what about when you get this warm weather during the rut? How does that change things? I think warm weather during the rut's worse than October because October they're still a little bit used to it from the summer, but come November they're traveling more, so they get they get warm quicker. And that's when I have a tendency to get in a bedroom on a pond and sit there on that water source, man, that those deer get hot. They're going to go to water and they're going to drink. Awesome tactic during a warm November. Awesome tactic. You're, you're still hunting though every day during the rut time frame, even if it is super warm, right? You're just adjusting. Not necessarily. There's certain days that I'll just, I'll just not go just cause I feel like they're not going to move just to take a little break. Cause we hunt, from September the 1st all the way through January the 10th. And that's seven days a week, and it's generally 15 hours a day. So if there's a day where I feel like they're just not going to move, I'm probably going to take a break, change some cameras around, sleep in just an extra hour, that type of stuff, you know, just to, to take a break. It's not many, but t- today was one, and I'm not up this afternoon either. How, how high above average temperatures does it have to be for you to say, okay, this is one of those days that just it's worth taking a break? If it's the second south after the front and you're 20 degrees above normal, <laughs> chances are you're not going to see a whole lot of mature deer. You might go out and see deer. It's going to be a little bit later, uh, but you also have to look what's coming. If the second south is just ahead of the next front, that's that's what's got them triggered. But right now we've got a warm today. Warm day today. We had a warm day yesterday. Warm day today and a warm day tomorrow. And I feel like this center warm day is probably not going to be optimum. And it's never a bad thing to rest your spot either, you know, because if you feel like the movement's going to be late, well, why go track your scent in and out and give them a scent trail to find after dark, that type of stuff. So there's more than just a little bit of a mental break to get away from it. It's also give the deer a break, keep off of that, you know, quick, get, get that human intrusion out of there. Mark, on that point, the human intrusion, we talked about it briefly on this podcast before. I don't remember who our guest was, but we talked about nose jammer. And have you have you used that before or not? I thought you had told me you did, but I couldn't remember. I have, yeah, I've used nose jammer. When, yep, you bet. I have a great luck with it down in Texas for sure. So do you just put it on? Because because one of my camera guys has bought a, um, a a can, and I bought a can actually. Now you could use it, you know, on everything, but I I had the tendency just to put it on the bottom of my boot, and that was it. I put it around me to create like a barrier where I think my scent's going. I'll put it on the downwind side of the blind or the downwind side of the tree to like kind of cover my scent a little bit. But also in conjunction with that, I have a tendency to put out Evercom. I have good luck with Evercom as well, particularly in Texas, man. We fool almost 95% of them, but the pressure's 
often quite high down there and we have sunny days and we fool a lot of deer. We use Ozonics, Nose Jammer, and Evercom, and man, we fool almost all of them. Because that Nose Jammer is a very strong vanilla odor. I mean, mm-hmm. what Ryan there was the one, he listens to the podcast, so he'll hear this, but he put it on the first time and that's the first time I had ever smelt it before. And I was like, holy, I mean, it's like a, it's like a cologne of vanilla, you know, and you could smell it a mile away. So I didn't know if you're trying to be scent free, if that's detrimental to your cause or, you know, I get it on putting it on your boots. So your scent trail on the way in is kind of masked, but I just didn't know if that general smell is too much, you know, I don't, I don't use it a lot in the Midwest. I use it more in Texas, but we're hunting 10,000 acres and I'm all over that ranch bouncing all over here in the Midwest where I'm going to my little honey holes. You know, I have a tendency to crush everything with scent crusher, throwing Ozonics in and, easy access in, easy access out. I'll mow it in September real short so that I get that last green growth in there. So it's quiet. You know, there's, there's a method to access both in and out. It's not only your scent, but also being quiet as well. Okay. It's funny. You mentioned nose jammer, Matt. Um, you know, I use it all the time around here now too. And I usually, to your question, you know, I put it on my boots just like you do, but then I also spray it on my tree and stuff when I get set up. Well, I was hunting our northern Michigan property this past weekend, and um, the evening before, I checked my trail cameras for the first time there, and I got 13 different days with black bear pictures right in front <laughs> of my tree stand. And I, I hadn't connected the dots yet, though, so the next morning, I go, I climb up in my tree, I spray nose jammer all over everything, and I'm sitting up there, and I'm like, wow. I smell like a sugar cookie factory right now, and there's a 400-pound black bear showing up here every other day. Maybe that's not such a good idea. (laughs) It's funny you say that because Aaron Bennett was telling me, he's like, he goes, you're going to have a bunch of does come up in that tree and lick you guys to death. (laughs) (laughs) I do see them come up and follow my trail sometimes and just sniff around, you know, like, what is this? But, But yeah, never a negative reaction, almost never with that, which is kind of a cool little tool. But I don't want them to follow my trail to the tree. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't know. I've, I've had some negative experiences with that on the lease where that deer that you're wanting to just keep on moving on and then circle back around and follow you right to the base of the tree, you know, and it's just like, and then you're stuck. You're kind of handcuffed. True. Best sense, no scent. Best sense, no scent. That's 100%. kind of what I was thinking. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, it's it's funny how all these different tools we use to try to avoid the wind or try to avoid the negative implications of the wind in the end the very best thing is just to make sure that you play the wind right and your scent is as low as possible um i'm kind of curious related to weather though have you found that the pressure impacts how well something like an ozonics or anything like that works for you mark um yeah pressure definitely helps uh, when you're using ozonics, no question. The higher the pressure, the greater your success, and the lower the pressure, the worse the success. Plain and simple, it's pretty easy actually. But uh, ozonics definitely makes a, a huge difference uh, when it comes to high pressure. What I mean, I, I I love them, use them all the time. But more often than not, like we've got so many spots where we're pretty lucky. You know, like regardless of the wind condition or speed. I've got a spot where I've had great success there on that condition in the past. So therefore I have a tendency to go, to go back to it, if that makes sense. So more often than not, I'm in a pretty safe position. I don't push it very often. Have you had negative effects with wind speed and ozone? Oh yeah. It'll blow it up. Yep. 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 Blows it right up. Yeah. It seems like the one condition that I found that 
doesn't work as well for me as when you've got really high or swirling winds when you know because i you know i think you guys all know how it works right it's got to drop down onto your scent stream to to change that molecule and when you've got it whipping around all over the place and it doesn't actually connect with all of your scent i don't think it can work in that way and that's why i've started using nose jammer too because i feel like that kind of helps me you know in those types of situations as like a safety net in case the ozonics and all my other things didn't work this maybe will help me get out of that extra couple percent of times when you know when i do have that issue so i don't know so you're, you said you're spraying it on your star. Are you spraying it like to the downwind side, just kind of in the air? Or are you actually spraying your stuff in the tree? Tree. I think it's got to be attached to something. I got to spray it on a physical object for it to linger and stick around there. So I just I spray it. I don't know if it matters which side of the tree you're spraying it on. I think the scent's there either way. But I do tend to spray it on the downwind side of the tree and then my boots when I walk in. And, um, and yeah, that seems to help. Interesting. Yeah. Speaking of wind, though, too, we haven't we haven't talked about this yet, Mark. What's too windy? I know you said you like speed to your wind, but what's the point where you're like, ah, it's just way too blustery, they're not going to move? Or is there a point like that? Optimum is 10 to like 16, 17. Love that speed. Um, you know, I, I don't see wind affecting them where they won't move at all until it gets really gusty, um, you know, up over – 30 or so but it's they're used to these weather conditions so i i have a tendency in those really windy days to go really low in topography and i think the deer do the same thing they get down out of that wind because it's amazing how you can get low and then and then not have the same wind speed down there that you do up on top you know so a little bit of it's common sense but um you very seldom in the fall do you get a wind speed that will deter deer movement. More often than not, it's some other condition that's doing it more so than that speed. Do you feel like they get a little goosey with, you know, a certain wind speed? I mean, like, I know, you know, if you're sitting over a cornfield or whatever and everything's moving around them, I mean, they're constantly looking around and seem like they're worried. They, they can get a little goosey when you start bumping up over 20. But the most nerved up I see them is when it is below five. That's the, that's as nervous as you'll see a deer when there's no wind. When they can hear everything. They can hear everything. Interesting. That happened to me last night, actually. We were sitting in a ground blind over a food plot, and we had a decent wind for this food plot, and there was no wind. I mean, nothing was happening. I even told my camera guy, I said, you know what? If does pop out on this because it's a small food plot, like quarter of an acre, if that – I said, don't even pick the camera up. I was like, because we got a full, you know, X amount of does to get to the deer we're after, and we didn't move. I mean, we're pressed up against the back of this ground blind, and a fawn came out, and here comes Mama, and she instantly looks at us. Nobody's moving. I mean, not even blinking, and she just, she just didn't like the circumstances at all, and she blew on out of there, and that blew the night. <laughs> but I felt like it was because. You could hear everything, and no, nobody was moving, but it was just too calm. It was eerie, you know. No wind's the worst wind, man. I love a wind that sustains. It's one of the reasons we get a lot of uh, trouble for hunting our blinds and whatnot. But those are the nights we keep the windows closed, keep it pretty airtight, try to minimize our scent escape escaping from those blinds, and minimize that sound, man. And we have a lot of luck on those low wind nights in our scent proofs that that we've actually built. A lot of times when you've got that really low wind too, don't doesn't your wind? I mean, your scent still 
travels to some degree. So it kind of just starts going every which direction, right? Just very slowly kind of simmers off in different ways. I feel like it's almost like a swirling wind, but just a very low speed swirl. Is that kind of what you guys see too? Goes in a circle instead of one pie, pie chart, you know? Yeah. I kept checking the wind last night with my wind checker just to see what, you know, cause there was literally hardly anything blowing. So, and most of the time it just kind of like, I was almost choking on it cause it would just kind of like stick around. It was really odd. Like you could see some of it lightly going out, you know, it, it, but for the most part, it just seemed like it was just sticking around and kind of dissipating. Not ideal. That's for sure. Not ideal. I hate when the wind's not blowing yeah. So is there is there any other factors related to weather that you're looking at, Mark, that we haven't covered or any other changes you make in your strategy based on weather factors that we haven't talked about? No, but I will say this. Weather is relative to the season. So my observations and the things we're talking about now probably will will have a lot of uh, credence from you know, September in through November. But when you get past the rut, you get in Thanksgiving beyond, it's a whole nother set of parameters that I look at because then it's, it's just different. It's bed to feed, bed to feed every day. And, and then, you know, pressure has to be higher. Uh, cloud cover is a huge factor in the late season. So it's relative to the season and, and to the phase. Is there any other other than cloud cover and pressure during the late season, are there any other changes or are those the two big differences between what we've talked about? Yeah. Wind speed. I like more wind during the late season than I do during the early season. Uh, everything changes just, just a little bit, but, um, one thing's for sure. They are totally dependent on the weather as far as when they're going to move. And I think it is triggers in weather that that and, and moon phase that will, at the end of the day, because you, you gauge the rut in hindsight, right? You go, oh, wow, it was a great rut. I saw a lot of deer. Well, go back and look at the weather. You probably had favorable weather, favorable moon, so you saw daylight activity. The rut's still going to occur at the same time every year, whether it happens at night, whether it happens during the day. has to do with the moon and the weather and whether you're in the right place to see it. What's the moon fixing to do here in the next 10 days? Is it, is it a good moon or is it not ideal? Well, you're coming back into the rising moon or the full moon in November, and I don't think it hit ideal. You know, I think it's horrible for afternoon movement leading into the full moon during November here, right? So the, the full moon is the 15th or 16th. So the five or six days that precede that is lockdown. You can set your food plots and you can just forget about it, man. However, those Five days that follow the full moon this year, and I said this back in July, Matt, you'll probably remember it. Yeah. To me, those are the peak days of the rut this year as far as having daylight activity because often during the rut when you get a full moon, your daylight shifts to all midday. Like I think it's going to start at about 8 or 8.30 come uh, November the 15th through the 19th, and it's going to last till about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and it's going to be good all, all midday if it's cold enough. And as warm as we've been in October and the early part of November, if it starts to cool down a little bit, right then you can just about write it down. I think the 15th through the 18th, if we get sunny skies with cold weather and decent pressure, you, you better get in that stand at daylight and stay there all day. And that's that's gun well. We're still in Missouri gun season in that time. Is uh, Illinois – I'm trying to think You're, when their gun season comes in. That would in. just precede first gun, I would think. But that 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 week in Illinois is going to be good if you're sitting there in the middle part of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
it's uh, that's our opening of gun season in Michigan too. So it's not good for me because I usually leave our my main spots alone during rifle season and hope that something survives the the war zone. So <laughs> hopefully it's not too good that day. <laughs> Selfishly, well, Mark, you may want to get into those bedrooms and let that pressure put them in there because they're going to move naturally during the middle part of the day anyway because of the moon and, and uh, the phase. True. Speaking of the moon, um, can you elaborate again? Because we we get a lot of questions about your take on the moon in the, the rising and setting times. I know you pay attention to that a lot. Can you Can you touch on that again for us? Take the day of the full moon, okay? If it's full the 15th, back up five days. Those five days are going to be great in the afternoon. The five days that follow it, are going to be great in the morning. It's that simple. And and that's because, correct me if I'm wrong, but as I understand, that's because those are the times when the moon is present in the afternoons, right, early, and then it's present in the mornings late after the full moon, right? You got it. You got it. Those those 10 to 12 days in and around that full moon, five or six before, five or six after, if the weather's right, without question, daylight activity is going to be enhanced during those periods. It's not to say you can't see daylight activity on the dark of the moon. It just makes it a touch better in and around that full moon. Hmm. You, so you don't give any credence to the kind of theory that some people, I think more so in the past, used to say that you know when you've got a full moon, all the movements at night because it's brighter out. Is that, I mean, based on what you're saying here, yeah. no, the full moon I isn't bad. So far from the truth, it's not even funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would I would argue that till the day I die. <laughs> like that is ludicrous. I mean, if you watch that day that it's full and watch the five or six days that precede that, I will argue all day long that is your best afternoon movement. And then the five or six that follow that, it's your best uh, morning movement. We've been sitting and watching it for 30 years, and Terry and I will both argue that till the day we die. Mm-hmm. I followed that this year in, here in October because you guys were talking about it. And so I started keying in on the deer I'm after and it literally he was daylight. He was right there, you know, on the food plots every evening almost in the, in the full moon and the five days after it was amazing. Exactly what you were saying. Now that all said, would you say, and I think I've heard you say this before, Mark, but you would still say though that weather trumps the moon. So if I were to say, okay, I've got a great cold front, but the moon's bad. Would you say that's better, or would the day with the warmer weather but the great moon be better? No, no, the cold front's better. Yep. Weather trumps moon. Moon enhances weather. Yep. All right. I'm I'm glad I've got these things all straight. I've been slowly putting together all the pieces that I've been learning from you over the years, Mark. I think I've got it pretty well handled now. I just need to make it all count. It's interesting because the, 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 yeah, the moon uh-huh. question, we get more than any other question Literally, like I get emails about it through the website on on social media. We see it all the time. That is the one thing that you constantly have questions about. Is that what you've always seen, Mark? Absolutely. And if I've answered that question once (laughs) in my life, particularly over the last three years, I've answered it 100 times. And it is so simple to take the day of the full moon, back up five or six days, hunt those afternoons, and the following five or six days, hunt the mornings. It's that simple. But for whatever reason, it is mystifying to people. I mean, it, it's a rather simple equation, but weather does trump moon. I will say that. But I, I've answered that question so many times, and yet you see it pop up continuously. I've heard you guys talk about it for 12 years now, and I still can't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can always go back and listen to this one again then, Matt, next time it comes to your mind. 
I'll have to. <laughs> All right. Well, is there anything we haven't covered, Matter Mark? I think we covered it. All right. No, I, this is perfect, the timing, because really you, you kind of gave some predictions for the next, you know, 15 to 20 days here. So I think if people listen to this, they might be able to actually use it to their advantage and hone in on what their game plan is. Come Because it's a se- the second most asked question we get is, when should I take my vacation mm-hmm. days? So maybe this will help with that one as well. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. There's, some... there's other can't-miss days, that, and that's another question I get all the time. You never want to miss the 30th and 31st of uh, of October. You never want to miss the 5th through the 9th of November, and you never want to miss the 15th through the 18th of November. If you ask me, those are the best days to be a field if the weather's right to see daylight activity of mature bucks. Those are the best. Historically, write them down every year. Those are the best. And and that's pre-lock, that is buck parade, and desperately seeking. The, the two in November just precede and follow peak of estrus. Perfect. Did you write it down, Mark? <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking in my head, okay, remember this, remember that. <laughs> Where am I going to be on this date? Where am I going to be on this date? <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Hopefully sitting over a big buck. So There you go. We'll see. Come on, guys. It's easy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds easy. <laughs> <laughs> Mark certainly seems to make it look like that, but uh, we, need to, we need to do a little more work, I guess, on our end, Matt. But soon, it's going to happen for us. Yeah. It's going to happen. You know- but I've seen Mark and Terry for you know my whole life doing this, and it didn't. They didn't just uh, end up this way. This is years of them doing it, and years of them putting in the work and the time and the effort, and sitting in a tree and missing family functions, and you know. So realistically, they're they are a wealth of knowledge because they've been in the woods, but you know, watching this take place in front of them, and they've just been able to analyze it and, and spit it out because everybody always asks how they came up with the idea for 13. Well, it's just years and years of their experience, and we just sat down finally and put it on paper, you know, put it into a script. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I think as I look back, I think, okay, when Mark and Dad, what, how old were they when they started Drury Outdoors? You know, Mark was early 20s, Dad was early 30s. I think, all right, I'm 35. I, I you know, I, you know, I'm just starting to finally figure these things out. Like, well, they, they did, they hunted forever until they really figured these things out. And you never really figure it out. They're always learning something. Right. So, I feel like when I think about it in that way, there's still hope that I can pick up <laughs> and figure these things out in the coming years. Yeah, we've got time. We've got time, that's for sure. But I think one of the things, and you know, with with the Wired Hunt podcast, I interview you know dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of different really successful hunters. But one thing that's always stood out for me about about you, Mark, has been your attention to detail when it comes to this kind of stuff, and it's it's very impressive and fascinating for me. And I think it really is one of those key things that differentiates you and Terry from a lot of other people is focusing on these little things and then looking for these larger patterns and trends. And I think if we all start doing that a little bit more, I think it's going to help. Um, so, so thank you for sharing this wealth of information you've accumulated over all these years, because I'm sure, you know, like you said, Matt, you and me wouldn't be figuring this out on our own for a long time if it wasn't for people like you, Mark and Terry. Yeah. They, I mean, we don't have the time to sit, sit out there as much, you know, there, you just have nine to five jobs and you just can't do that kind of uh, reconnaissance that their job has now provided them over 30 years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Well, speaking of time, I do think we should probably wrap this one up because lots of people have got to get out hunting. I've got to figure out if I'm going to be in a tree or not tonight. So, so thank you, Mark, for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me guys. Mark, do you have any final thoughts before we leave? 
I think the only thing I would say is that if you want to have a question, oh, which Mark? <laughs> Sorry. I said, I hope everybody kills a booner. I hope so too. And then I will hop in with my final thoughts now. <laughs> that just being, if you want to submit your own question for a future episode, you can visit wiredtohunt.com slash 100% wild. You'll see all the instructions right there. It's super simple. Subscribe to the audio version on iTunes or Stitcher. Follow Wired Hunt across all the different places on social media. And Matt, what do you got? Absolutely. Check out the podcast that we just did or the ones that we've done up to this point on Drury Outdoors' uh, YouTube channel. And you can check out all our DOD TV episodes. We're doing original hunts every week. We have some throwback hunts. We have episodes, full episodes of Natural Born that we're putting up every week. So we really have a lot of really cool content. We're getting a ton of views on our YouTube channel right now. So please check it out. Subscribe to it. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's kind of the wave of the future for us as a company, it's our evolution. Uh, the DVDs obviously are no longer uh, being made, so we're focusing on that YouTube channel a lot. So check us out there, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and juryoutdoors.com. The journal there right now, it's lighting up, so be sure to check us out on all things internet. Yeah, great stuff. All right, well, thank you everyone for joining us, and good luck hunting. Peace. <laughs>